0: Welcome to the Climb Podcast. I'm Lynn Robbins. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. Bridget O'Brien. Bridget and I will be discussing how to write a literature review, which is a critical part of any scholarly writing. Dr. O'Brien is a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. She's also deputy editor for teaching and learning in medicine and a qualitative consultant for academic medicine. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you. Great to be here. You've described the literature review as a critical part of any scholarly writing,
1: but really, what makes it so important? For me, the lit review is really important. Uh, The introduction, I should say, more generally in the lit review is part of that. Um, And there's several reasons why. One is that it really tells me how the authors are framing the study. So what kind of problem are they thinking this study, or if it's not a study, this paper is going to tell me about. That could be cognitive problem, it's a reasoning kind of problem with clinical reasoning, it's a social problem, meaning something between individuals or in group kind of context. It's a motivational problem. So it gives me a good understanding of where they're coming from, where they're situating this work. It also tells me whether the authors did their homework. Do they know what's already been written on this topic? Do they know who the key names are, who the key players are, who's talking about this topic? So if I see that some work that I know that's really big on this topic isn't cited, then I get a little bit worried that maybe they haven't done, uh, done their homework. It also tells me what they think is new here and and I think novelty is important I've been in the field a while now (laughs) maybe not that long but um, it's been more than 10 years and I feel like I see some of the same kinds of problems coming up and being discussed over and over. So I want to hear, what are you adding? How are you thinking in a new way about Mm -hmm. this problem? And maybe that's putting a different theoretical lens on it, or maybe uh, investigating it from a different angle or an aspect of the problem that people haven't thought about. Maybe something's changed in the world that makes us think differently about it. So, that piece is important to me. But it's it's got to be more than just putting a new name on the same old phenomenon. And sometimes I think you read something and think, oh, well, that's a catchy way to think about it. But then you, you keep reading, you think, well, I think they're kind of saying what's already been said. They've just called it something different. Mm-hmm. And that isn't necessarily novel and maybe doesn't really help move the field forward. But I do think sometimes there is a need for replication work to say, well, they found this in this setting or at this level of education. But does the same hold true with a different group of people? You've
0: used the term mapping the gap as something that's key to a literature review. So maybe you could illuminate for us what mapping the gap is.
1: Yeah. And I, w- I want to be clear. These aren't really my ideas. I learned a lot of this from reading the writer's craft series and perspectives in medical education. And there's one on mapping the gap um, and writing the lit review and then the master class at the group at Western with Lorelei Lingard and Chris Watling and Mark Goldschmidt and Zyra, uh, Corey LaDonna, um, really taught me a lot of these ideas Mm -hmm. too. There's actually a very simple heuristic. So you kind of have to start with a problem before you get to mapping, but what is the problem we're going to address? So the problem is dot, 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 explain that. Then um, what we know is, so what do we know about the problem? And that's where you make a series of knowledge claims. So outlining really what do we know? Uh, what we don't know is dot dot dot, and so there you're really highlighting the gap, and it matters because um, this is why it, it matters. So that problem gap hook heuristic is quite helpful, but the the gap can be characterized in several different ways, and so you have to be kind of clear. How do I want to describe what the gap is, and then what pieces of knowledge claims do I need to make to build up to that, and so. Some of the different kinds of gaps can be a knowledge deficit. We just don't know enough about this area. Maybe it's a new area, like with technology. There are new things happening mm-hmm. all the time that maybe we need to um, investigate more. Maybe there's shortcomings in the scholarship. Like everybody has been studying, say, clinical reasoning through these same methodologies, we're going to try a different approach. Maybe it's an area where there's some controversy. Bias is a good topic where some people think you can correct for bias and other people think that's sort of a waste of time. It's not helpful for people to know the different types of bias because you can't de-bias people. So there's some controversy, and we want to join that and try to unpack that controversy. Maybe it is one of these pervasive myths, like if everybody is working in the best interest of the patient, then uh, we're going to get good teamwork, good collaboration, good patient care, but maybe people think about what's good for the patient in different ways, so that's a more complicated issue than it Mm -hmm. seems. And maybe it's, there's just some mysterious aspect of a phenomenon that you want to explore more. So there's these different ways of characterizing the gap that I think can be helpful. And figuring that out and that helps you think through what knowledge claims you want to present to build up to that gap.
0: So you're an editor and, and clearly a frequent journal reviewer. Are there other things that make a particularly strong literature review or introduction?
1: Yeah, I think the argument has to flow or the story has to flow. So can I kind of follow how they're laying this out? And if it feels kind of like a paragraph here, a paragraph there, that I think is signals a problem. If it lacks some of these key references like I mentioned, then I worry a little bit that they don't know sort of enough about the topic that they're writing about. If the lit review hasn't left me feeling like this is going to make an important contribution that this is a meaningful problem then that makes me kind of worry I really want to know how is this study going to add value what impact is it going to have how's how are you hooking the reader and going to advance the field so I think those are the key things Mm -hmm. that jump out at me
0: Mm -hmm. so is there any combination of things that makes you want to like Take the manuscript in your hand and just, like, throw it across the room? or <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I think, so I make it sound like it's all simple, but mm-hmm. honestly, this is hard work. It's easy to say to someone, your argument doesn't flow. It's much harder to say, here's what you need to do to make the argument flow. And that can be especially hard if it's a um, topic that I'm not mm-hmm. a, an expert in or I just don't know that literature well enough. There is sort of a back and forth between you and the authors of I need more convincing that, you know, this is new and but I don't really know. And uh, them like doing their their work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, It sounds like you're really committed to mentoring.
1: I think a lot about how to help them learn to argue a position better. I think I empathize, too. When I entered this field, I felt like you send a paper off and it goes out there and whatever you get back is what you get back. And the very first paper I wrote, I got back a revise and resubmit and just felt overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and never resubmitted it because I just, you know, didn't know what to do about it or how to respond and it felt like too much. And boy, I wish I'd had a good mentor back then who would have said, oh, this is, totally doable. Here's how you approach it and we can get this done. Now I realize editors are people and I do think there's a bit of a shift toward increasingly more people feeling like they want to invest in helping scholars learn to do this work better. Any
0: tips for folks who get revise and resubmit?
1: I see it as a win. I think it's a success. It's a win that you got even sent out for review. And then, if you got invited to resubmit, they, that really means they think that there's good potential mm-hmm. here. You do need to respond and take every single reviewer's comment seriously. That doesn't mean you have to do what they've suggested, but you have to come up with a reason for not doing it. And you need to think about what it's signaling. So maybe you don't do exactly what they say, but something wasn't clear in what you wrote. And so you need to clarify that and help readers understand. They didn't see any fatal flaws, otherwise they would have rejected mm-hmm. it. So most things really can be addressed. And I think it's, it's definitely a, a win and an exciting opportunity to make your paper better.
0: When you write your own literature reviews, how do you go about selecting the literature that you'll reference?
1: I think it's changed over time. So I used to do the big kind of bolus of I need to know everything there is on this topic. And I need to think about like kind of summarizing that and paraphrasing that. And then somehow I need to synthesize all that. And synthesis is not my strong suit. So going to the writing master class and reading some of the tips really helped me think about freeing myself. So doing the reading and knowing A fair bit about what's out there, but then setting that aside and letting it go and just thinking about what's a compelling argument for this paper. And then going and putting the references in that link to that set of claims or that argument. But it just is very freeing because I don't get too caught up in the details of the study. It's okay to kind of generalize. And that, but you know, don't take things out of context and misconstrue what they're saying, Mm because that will get you in trouble. But really think about a more synthetic point. (laughs) And so it is a balancing (laughs) act, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When you go through and you select the literature, what do you do? Do you sit down? Do you take notes? Do you just read it and write in your notes, like, these are the main points? Do you take out pithy quotes? I mean,
1: it depends a little on how well I know the topic. One strategy I use is making a table, either in Excel or in Word, writing who the authors are so we know who the players are, what year it's written, what are the key points of their argument, what kinds of methods did they use, anything that might be helpful to know along the lines Mm -hmm. or down the line. That does a couple of things. It allows me to sort and go back and find things easily, and I can say what kind of topic are they writing about, and then it becomes much easier to group things together that are speaking about the same topic, that are having a conversation with one another, even if the authors don't realize they're (laughs) talking to each other but it gives me that kind of organization and record of what I've read. And so I like doing that quite a bit. And if you're working with a team, that can be nice because you can make it a shared document Mm -hmm. and everybody can access it and you have a good record of what you're doing. And I think reference managers um, can be helpful too. I've had sort of a back and forth of sometimes I use them and find them helpful and other things I don't. So, But for something that has a lot of references and that I'm still, like, going out and pulling a fair number of papers, um, I like Zotero quite a bit. Even if I've already got the PDFs pulled, it can just read those out of my folder and have them, and then they have templates for your reference list. So if it's going to academic medicine, it can specify it for that particular journal or for teaching and learning in medicine, and it'll customize it that way. So Mm -hmm. it's helpful to have that kind of tracking system. Yeah.
0: So any other things? I, I think it was really important to hear that you can treat the review process as a conversation.
1: Yeah. When you do get conflicting reviews, I think it's Definitely helpful to go back to the editor if you're really struggling with which of these do I pay attention mm-hmm. to, or I'm really not sure what they're advising me to do, especially if the comments come from the deputy editor. I would, or the editor, I would reach out and ask for more guidance on that because you don't want to spend a whole lot of time trying to fix something and then realizing that's not what they were after in the first place or what they were suggesting. So, I think. Editors are people, and they're doing this because they really, generally, I think, like to um, help people improve their work. And so they're open, usually, I think, to uh, giving more guidance and clarification.
0: Okay, well, great. That's good to know. (laughs) So, So thank you, Bridget, for coming in and speaking to me today about writing. Thanks for having me. It's, a,
1: it's such a fun topic to think about and talk about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is. When everything's done, it's really fun to think about it.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, so we hope you enjoyed this Climbcast on how to write a literature review for scholarly publication. Check out the other podcasts on our website for helpful tips for clinician educators.